0: the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. So I tell you, there will be more, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having lost ten silver coins, or having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Compared with most of the religious establishment of Jesus' day, the Pharisees were actually on the better side, shall we say. They accepted the books of Moses and the rest of the scriptures as authoritative, did not try to weasel their way out from under what was clearly said in them, They upheld the teachings of the Messiah, that he would come to save Israel from their sins and to lead them into the kingdom of God. And they confessed the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting, almost a rarity among Jewish groups in their time. Indeed, there were a lot of ways that you could commend them, a lot of things they said that were in fact good and right and in accord with the scriptures. But also, they had their many faults, chief of which their resistance to the scriptures when they were manifested in the person of Jesus Christ and as he revealed the fullness of the messianic promise. All of their vaunted concern for the words of Moses and the prophets went out the window as soon as the Messiah came and wasn't quite what they were expecting. But one of their other faults, and indeed a common fault among all people, was their tendency towards cliquishness. The Pharisees themselves constituted an in group of sorts, their own preferred group of people with their own preferred characteristics, people who were worthy of praise and accolade and the adoration of the common folk. And then there were, of course, the others. The people who the Pharisees looked down on as the simple, the unprepared, the unconcerned with the words of the scriptures, the sinners and the tax collectors, those who were not really fit for the kingdom of God. And like any good clique, they know you don't associate with the outgroup. You keep your distance. You maintain your purity by staying with those who are like you. People who already agree with you. People who have the same goals, the same desires, the same whatever that delineates you as a group. And the worst thing that you can do for your standing within that group is to be seen with someone that that group looks down upon. The sinners and the tax collectors The Pharisees were, of course, more than willing to judge from afar, to stand at a distance and shout to them what they ought to be doing, the ways in which they ought to change themselves. And indeed, they were not so crass as to deny the very possibility of repentance for any sinner. But you might say that for them, repentance, while a necessary step, was only a first step. There were changes that needed to be made. There were new behaviors and attitudes and customs that needed to be adopted before they would be willing to truly associate with those people. It was almost as if there was a stench that hanged around the sinners and tax collectors that the Pharisees were unwilling to get too close to, lest some of that smell should be found on their robes the next time that they gather with their fellow Pharisees. And it's for this very reason that when Jesus comes showing no such inhibitions about spending his time with sinners, that, well, this quite rankles their feathers. Why is he eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors when all they have done is repented? All they have done is said the right words and received the baptism of John, but they have not adopted the customs of the elders. They have not submitted to the yoke of the Pharisaical leaders. They have not done X, Y, Z, whatever sorts of whatever sorts of stipulations or rules or guidelines that they felt needed to be happening before they would be willing to let them have a seat at their tables. Jesus, instead, puts almost no roadblock before them. Those sinners and tax collectors who have come to him to hear his words, he receives as his own disciples. He prepares a spot for them at his own table. He eats and drinks with them, unconcerned of whatever potential contamination the Pharisees believe should be on them. To this, Jesus gives them a few parables. He draws upon things that the Pharisees themselves should know and understand. A man has a hundred sheep, but he loses one. It's a small loss compared to the grand scheme of his flock, and yet that man has put effort into this. He has raised that sheep from its infancy. He has assured it that it will have clean water and pastures to graze in. He has fought off wolves and bears and lions and all of the other predators that would seek to snatch it away. He has probably gotten more than a few scars on his arms from such endeavors, And from the endless numbers of brambles that he must pull the sheep out of, the calluses on his feet from walking all that distance, for the sake of this one sheep, he has invested a great effort. And so he cannot just leave it. He cannot simply chalk this sheep up as a loss and move on with the 99, abandoning this one to the wolves or to the desert. No, instead, he must go for it. He must leave the 99 with the other shepherds, and he must set out alone, enduring all of the potential dangers that come from being separated from the group. He must search among the highways and byways. He must look upon the cliffs and bluffs. And if needed, he must roll up his sleeves and climb those same rocky outcroppings, cro- so that he may pick this sheep up, place it on his back. And carry it home. And he certainly cannot do this without a few injuries. There will be bruises, there will be cuts, there will be frustrating nicks that come from the hooves of the sheep as it is pulled onto his shoulders, and there will, of course, be the stink of sheep on him as he comes home that day. But he does not see these things. All the shepherd sees is the great joy of the one that he has lost being returned to him. And for the sake of having received what was lost, he calls all of his friends together that they may share in his joy. Such joy he derives from saving this one sheep. Or another, a woman who has ten silver coins, a fair sum, one that you can definitely run your house on, and then she loses one. Perhaps not the end of the world, but certainly a sting that would be felt. She cannot simply leave it where it has fallen. She cannot simply leave it into the dust, cannot leave it behind the bed or under the couch or wherever it has fallen. She must find this. And so, She puts in the labor. She pulls apart the couches, lifts the beds, opens all the cupboards, searches every nook and cranny until at last she has found it. And to be sure in this process, there has been her own wounds. The soreness of her muscles from the labor, the sweat on her brow as she has gone into these corners, all of the little dings and damages that come from bumping into the things, until at last she has found this coin, and again she is overcome with joy. She does not care about the wounds that she has suffered, nor the smell of sweat as it clings to her, so great is her joy at having found what was lost. And she is eager, then, to share that joy with those around her. So too it is with our Lord. For indeed, from the very beginning, God created man as the object of his love. But we were lost. We were fallen into sin. We turned away and followed after the lusts of our heart and the desires of our flesh until we ourselves were so lost as to be counted gone entirely. But God was not willing to lose us. He created us from our very first moments in the wombs of our mothers, and he intended to sustain us until our last breath, until at last he should have us again as his own possession for eternity. It is not in God's heart to simply accept the loss. He cannot simply turn away. He cannot simply let us go our own way into the highways and byways, lost into the nooks and crannies and the dark places, never to be found again. Instead, he must search for us. His own heart compels him. His own merciful compassion so constrains him that he must come for us. And he sent Christ to do precisely that, For Christ, the Son of the Father, is consumed with the same passion and mercy for those whom he has created. And knowing that they have been lost, he must search for them. He must come down into this world. He must go out into the highways and byways to find us. He must search the dark corners, the nooks and the crannies until at last he finds those sinners and calls them out into his light. And when one comes to him in repentance, he does not count the wounds or the stench of the sinners upon him. Indeed, Christ this day cares not for the pain of the whips that he felt at Golgotha. He cares not for the sting of the nails that he endured. He cares not for the damage and scars that have been done to his body. He cares not for all those wounds that he suffered. What he cares about is that he found you. He cares that that sheep that he had lost has now been returned. He cares that that coin has been taken out of darkness and returned to its proper place. No matter what he had to suffer in this process, he counts all of it an acceptable loss for the sake of having you returned to him and for the sake of having all sinners who have turned to him in repentance returned to him. And he cannot help but have joy in this occasion. And he cannot help but share that joy. And what the Pharisees failed to realize is that in fact they were the ones who were lost. For indeed, if they had truly been found, if they truly had known the grace of God, then they would be at that table with him unconcerned with the stench of sinners or unconcerned with whatever wounds they may suffer in the eyes of men and the world, but they would be there all the same, rejoicing that these lost sinners have been returned, that these sheep have returned to the fold, that the coins have returned to the treasury of heaven, that they were found, just as indeed they have been found, and just as indeed we have been found. For that is why we are here today we are here today to join jesus at his table and to receive the feast of his own mercy we are gathered today with fellow sinners unconcerned with the wounds that we have suffered and unconcerned with whatever potential stench of sin may be on us because we are so glad that we have been found We are so overcome with joy to know that we have returned to the safe pasture and that our fellow sinners have been gathered together with us. And who would ever want to be parted from such a table? What possible thing in this world could there be that would turn us away from a table so lavishly prepared with the very grace of God that is in the flesh and blood of Jesus? Indeed, who would ever turn away for something so silly as our own little cliques, our own little ideas of who should be at the table with us? What a foolish thing to separate ourselves from the love of Christ for. Indeed, let us not separate ourselves. Let us hasten to the table. Let us not pay mind to who sits next to us, except in joy that that sinner is indeed here to receive the same gifts. And let us take confidence in this meal. Let us take confidence in the gathering that Jesus has called us to. For he has called us into his presence that we may rejoice. And rejoice we shall, until the day when we partake of the fullness of his feast, in his kingdom, in the presence of him and the Father and the Son, ever one God, and we ever freed from our sins. Let us come today and partake of the foretaste of that day. And let us treasure it in our mouths, in our hearts, in our very souls, until that day shall arrive in all of its glory. Amen. In the name of Jesus, our only hope in this life and the next. Amen.